0: 36. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Okay, before we get to our three big things, I want to start off with the story that I I was absolutely, at least I was riveted this morning. I do not know if you had a chance to see it, but um, if you were watching Channel 12, you, you did. What happened was there was a there was a car. Now it turns out it was stolen, an SUV. But apparently the Franklin police attempted to stop sometime after 5 o'clock this morning. As frequently happens in this area, people do not stop. Um, They take off. And that's what this car did. And the car drove apparently from Franklin... I actually did not see the entire thing. I watched, oh, about 15 or 20 minutes of this as the car got to the north side. I mean, it's around Capitol and Titonia. In this area, actually not that far from where our, our studios are. The stole, It turns out that the van was stolen. If you saw this, you know what I mean. And uh, the uh Channel 12 had, had their news copter in the air. And they broke in, and they were following th- this car that was driving at a high rate of speed throughout these north side neighborhoods, blowing through stop signs, occasionally going down the wrong way on streets. And, of course, this is during rush hour traffic, going through red lights, driving through um, pedestrian lanes and bike lanes, making illegal U-turns, pulling in front of school buses, um, and generally creating havoc. And it went on and on and on and um, the, you know, the news accounts are describing it as a rush-hour police chase. It, it wasn't a police chase. The police weren't chasing the car. There were no police cars to be seen. The police, as near as I can figure out, had made the decision that they were just going to allow this car to drive around an area, and they were watching it on TV like um, everybody else was. Now, ultimately what happened is somewhere uh, kind of around... Uh, The intersection of like 19th and Olive, right in front of Rufus King High School. And Rufus King, by the way, was on lockdown. I don't know if they've lifted the lockdown. The car stops in the middle of the street, and two young black men get out and start running in different directions. It was kind of interesting because the chopper had to decide which one it was going to follow. It follows this one guy, and you can see he starts off wearing a red hoodie, and he takes off the red hoodie, and he throws that away. Then he's got a yellow shirt. He takes off the yellow shirt. He throws that away. So he's running bare-chested. He's got his cell phone out. So, obviously, he's talking to somebody who's saying, yeah, we see you on TV. But, but again, no, no cops in the vicinity, no police in the area at all. Ultimately, they catch one of the guys, not the second one. And I think the guy that the chopper was following, I think he's the one that, that ended up getting away. So, I mean, this goes on for a lengthy period of time. Now, I, I'm watching this, and I guess I have a couple thoughts. First of all, where were the police? And I, I understand. Again, we're, we're dealing with the Milwaukee Police Department, and this is Ed Flynn, who does not like to engage in high-speed chases. I understand in this situation why they would decide: okay, we're not going to pursue this vehicle, we're because it's driving just so horribly; it's such a danger. I understand why we're not going to necessarily put a squad car behind the vehicle and try to drive at 70 or 80 miles an hour because there's all the other cars. I get that. What I do not understand, though, is why there was no effort made to try to contain the car. That is, like blocking off intersections, putting stop sticks down, something. Because the car was essentially driving in in largely the same area, at least during the 15 or the 20 minutes of the chase that I watched. It's driving around the north side. And there were police nowhere to be seen. Now, ultimately, even when they got out of the car... Um, there, there wasn't an immediate police moving in. Um, they ultimately did move in. And they one of the, caught one of the guys. I understand why, again, you don't necessarily want the high-speed pursuit. And I appreciate that you can argue, well, by letting it play out this way, you made sure that nobody got hurt. I, I, you can make that argument because nobody did get hurt. But, but I would argue that it is only but for the grace of God that nobody got hurt. Because if you were watching this car driving through streets, cutting off school buses, turning the wrong way, driving down bus lanes, uh, or pedestrian or bike lanes, I, I think you can argue it is, like I say, seriously but for the grace of God that nobody did get hurt. So all's well that ends well, and that's fine. But here is the other concern that I have, By virtue of letting these guys go on a joyride that was then now captured on TV, making them stars for their 15 minutes or their 30 minutes or their 45 minutes or their hour, and by the way, I don't fault Channel 12 for covering this. It was clearly news. Now, what do you want to bet? It's, what, a day, two days, three days before somebody else does exactly the same thing my question as I was watching this entire thing were where were the police not again not necessarily the high-speed chase but why didn't we have a presence trying to block off intersections instead of just letting these guys go on a high-speed joyride through residential neighborhoods at seven o'clock in the morning okay 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line again all's well that ends well But as a result of simply letting these guys drive like they did, have we now opened the door for more of this type of conduct? How long will it be before the next person wants their 15 minutes of fame and does this? And what would have happened had the car actually rear-ended one of the school buses or slammed into pedestrians that were trying to cross the street? Now, they didn't, but again, it's only but for the face, uh, it's only but for for I think the, um, again, just happenstance that this was allowed to happen. All right, let's start with Ryan in Bayview. Ryan, you're first. Good morning.
1: Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. I agree this was the grace of God, probably that one of the two got caught and that nobody got hurt. But I I, I think maybe you're being a little hard on the police in terms of their presence in responding after the fact. Uh, I'm a former police officer, and it is it is a difficult task to catch mm-hmm. uh, somebody who's fleeing on foot.
0: Oh, and on they, foot. Okay. Let, let me let's let's break it down. I guess my biggest my biggest criticism is not trying to do more to stop the car. Let me just stop that. Do you do you think that they, they should have just let this this car drive around like this for the better part of an hour?
1: <laughs> I think that you you mentioned stop sticks, and you mentioned possibly stopping uh, blocking intersections. In a grid pattern city, that's basically a crapshoot. It's like, well, which intersection are they going to drive to? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's an unreasonable expectation for the police to try to to do so.
0: So the and then, let me stop you. So then the answer is just to let them drive around and around until they either hit and kill somebody or get tired, decide to run away
1: unfortunately you're you're uh, you have a lot more information than i do because i didn't watch this thing unfold but i would imagine that the police were monitoring this and yeah, the that's
0: what channel they were watching the channel 12 helicopter drive watch they were watching the car drive around that's what channel 12 said
1: right so in rush hour traffic um i think it's going to be difficult to meet your expectations absolutely not they shouldn't let this play out um without having a presence, but my guess is that they were all on standby in a i think it would be a good idea to find out how did they handle this how did they actually handle this maybe get the radio and see what was the dispatcher you know trying to figure out where these guys were going to go we may not have all the info jeff
0: well i mean i, I tell you I mean i got the statement from the franklin police chief he, and this is what wisn said the China, the, i mean t- Channel Twelve said the police are watching our feed. They had the helicopter up, and the Franklin Police says, "I want to thank WISN and their chopper crew for the video coverage of the vehicle and the suspect on foot search video helped locating one of the suspects." So I mean, I, they were. I mean, I think they were. They were doing what the rest of us were doing, which was watching TV. Now, thanks to call, Ryan. And look, and I, I understand it's difficult. That's why I am not saying that you necessarily engage in a high-speed chase. But if you watch the way this car was driving. It was putting people at risk, and I guess I understand it's difficult. And you say grid pattern, and, and I and I appreciate that by putting down stop sticks or trying to block intersections, that they, they might have might have caused them to turn around and go back and go another way. But they were driving in an incredibly irresponsible and dangerous fashion, and if the response is. That, no, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to let people drive around the north side of Milwaukee at 60 and 70 miles an hour in a stolen car for 20, 30, 40, 45, 50 minutes, blowing through stop signs, going through red lights, pulling in front of pedestrians. If that's now the answer, um, and that's going to be the response, what's going to happen tomorrow, and what's going to happen on Friday, and what's going to happen for the next couple weeks? Just saying. It's 845. This is Jeff Wagner. This 849, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. In the light of Gateway Tech announcing campus expansion tied to the arrival of Foxconn, there might be yet another big winner in Wisconsin's economic future. Scafidi and Bilstedt have the story today at 145. And again, it, I'm glad this police, and it, it wasn't a chase. Nobody was chasing this van. They let the van, stolen stolen SUV, they let the stolen SUV drive at high rates of speed, blowing stop signs, going through red lights, driving down the wrong way on streets. They let it go. And just simply, apparently, like, watch the Channel 12 newscopter feed until the guys got bored with driving around in a reckless fashion and ran away, and then they ended up catching one of the two guys. I understand why you don't chase, but by simply allowing this to happen, not trying to block off streets... What's going to happen the next time, and will we be as lucky that the stolen car driven by the guys on the Ultimate Joyride doesn't hit and kill a pedestrian or some kid trying to go to walk to uh, school in the morning? I mean, it just, it, it's just it's got to be a better way than just letting a car drive around at high rates of speed at 7.30 in the morning for the better part of an hour. Isn't there? All right. Quick reminder. We announced this yesterday. It, it's one of... Uh, from the perspective of WTMJ staff, it's one of our very favorite events. Um, it is our annual Christmas show. Um, it's our holiday radio show. This is the third year that we have done it. You hear all the different voices, all the personalities of TMJ are going to be there. If you've been there before, you know it's a great time. Um, this year, it is Monday, November 27th at Turner Hall. A completely original production this year, WTMJ Saves Christmas. Tickets are $25. Bucks. Um, a portion of those proceeds go to kids to Kids Christmas. Christmas. Christmas, the campaign that we're involved with every year, and tickets go on sale at noon on Monday. Uh, This event does sell out. It tends to sell out quickly, so do not be shut out. All right. We start off today's program with our three big things. All right. Number one, the, the, the aftermath of the NFL protests. Now, last night... You had the entire Cowboys team. The Cowboys played the Arizona Cardinals, joined by their owner, Jerry Jones, who had previously said that he was not going to allow people to kneel during the National Anthem. They came out together. They locked hands. They kneeled. They knelt before the National Anthem, and then everybody stood. So, I mean, it was a kind of one of these non-protest sort of protests. We're going to show unity, but then we're going to stand for the national anthem. The interesting thing that has happened over the course of the last day is that this issue has not gone away. Since President Trump raised it, and again, I don't know if he really intended to raise this or whether he was... Just Friday night he's doing this rally for the candidate he supports in a Republican primary, and whether he just got kind of caught up and started you know talking about this off the cuff and then has now kind of dug in or whether this was a concentrated effort to try to you know uh, talk about this issue I can't tell which it was, but again, this right now the NFL protests the NFL response to the president where they essentially say, um, mr. president, you know we you don't." All you're doing is promoting, promoting divisiveness and you know we're going to stand with our athletes if they want to engage in, in protest. This issue is not going away. And now it's starting to have an economic impact. Out in Denver, a car dealer who previously had hired Vaughn Miller, one of the, the outstanding linebacker, um, they, a- after he um, took a knee, Local Ford dealership dropped, dropped him as their spokesperson. Said, okay, we're, we're, we're not using him. I mean, he's done this, and, and he's out. We are dropping him. Nike says it stands with the NFL players. Nike says, okay, we have no, no intention of like, changing our advertising. We're not going to respond. Other advertisers are kind of on the fence. Pepsi, Budweiser, McDonald's. Um, collectively those three adver- and, and, and Visa, Pepsi, Budweiser, Visa and McDonald's collectively spend $1.5 billion annually on NFL sponsorships and right now none of those companies are commenting on whether or not they are going to start to pull advertising as a result of these protests so the NFL is kind of waiting to see what's going to happen here Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I think the decision by these players to protest in this fashion is going to hurt them individually. But more importantly, and this is why I believe the NFL owners should have stopped this a while ago, I think it is going to hurt the NFL because I believe that there is a backlash that is brewing, number one, to the NFL and I think that is one of the explanations for why ratings are down not the only explanation but one of the explanations of why ratings are down for the games but I also think that there is going to be a backlash against the advertisers which again is why I think the NFL should have stopped this a while ago I'm sure also a lot of the owners are frustrated because, like I said yesterday, I think this whole thing was dying down until the president decided to make an issue of it and now has revived it. Is this going to hurt the NFL? Are advertisers going to pull out? Should advertisers pull out? 414-799-1620, that's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line, or will this simply blow over? What do you think? We discuss next. It's 855. This is Jeff Wagner. 858, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, the the mainstream media and a number of the commentators, plus people who hate the president, love these protests. Advertisers aren't so sure. How is this going to play out? Jane in Muskego. Jane, good morning. Good morning. What do you think?
2: Well, I just think those NFL players, sports figures, they have such influence on um, the sales And it's all about the money. They're going to stand by their NFL players, I think, for any
3: professional sport. Mm -hmm.
0: What if, because of the protests, the ratings continue to take a tumble or take a tumble? At that point in time, might advertisers bail because they don't want to be associated with some of these players? Or don't you think that's going to happen?
2: I don't think they'll completely bail. They may pull back to see how the public reacts.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I
2: don't think
0: it's going to be a straight cutoff. No. Right. Well, well, and that, right now they're sitting, um, there, there's a lot of, like I say, Nike says, no, we're not changing anything. There was this car dealer in Denver that dropped one of the Denver Bronco players as a spokesperson. Um, a lot of the big national advertisers are taking sort of a wait and see attitude. How is this going to play out? We continue the conversation after the news. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this going to blow over? I thought it had already blown over until the president revived the issue. Now it's an issue that might have legs. Stick around. It's 8.59. It's 9.09. This is Jeff Wagner. The NFL issue is not going away. President Trump has actually called for for boycotts. He's called for people to walk out of the stadiums. This has put the advertisers of the NFL in a very very tricky position ratings for whatever reason had in general been down this year after being down last year now you have advertisers that typically want to stay away from controversy you advertise on an nfl game if you're budweiser or pepsi or visa and you you, you don't want to be in the middle of a politically charged thing now now you are is this going to hurt the nfl moving forward i i think yes And I think this, again, demonstrates why, first of all, President Trump did the NFL owners no favor by jumping into this issue last Friday. But secondly, the NFL owners, in many respects, have only themselves to blame by not dealing with this sooner. 414-799-1620. Hank in New Berlin. Hank, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
1: Hey, good morning, Jeff. Uh, Being a veteran and respecting all my veteran brothers and sisters and the flag, I will no longer buy any products that sponsor the NFL. Pepsi, Frito, Pizza Hut—they're all gone. NFL gear—I'm done with them.
0: Just well, like the NFL would say, they, they, they would say, Hank, you're, you're overreacting. This this wasn't intended as disrespect for the flag, and it doesn't reflect the league's view. You're not buying that, though, huh?
1: Now, uh, I want to know how many NFL players serve their country. How many? On all them rosters, all them multimillionaires, how many of them put their life on the line for their country?
0: Probably very few. Okay. Probably very That's few.
4: Right. And I'm just one, but I'm a bullheaded SOB.
0: <laughs> Thanks for the call. Hank. Well, I mean, that, that, look, and, and this, this isn't see, and this is the issue that the NFL and the owners have. It's not do you agree with Hank or not. The question is, how many people like Hank are out there, and are they going to respond accordingly? Or is this something... I mean, look, a lot of times people get worked up over issues, and they just decide, okay, we're, we're going to... It blows over. Um, are, are people really not going to watch football games because of this? And I will tell you, I, I don't know. When this first started happening with Kaepernick last year, I, I thought this was just going to be a small sort of thing. Now that this has gone nuclear, I do think that there are going to be – I think that there is a segment of people, particularly casual fans, who are saying, okay, I'm not going to watch a Thursday night game between – again, the Packers and Bears are playing this week, so it's a bad example – but I'm not going to watch a Thursday night game between two teams I don't care about – I I think it is going to have an effect. 414-799-1620 is the number. Um, How are advertisers going to respond? Ron on the west side. Ron, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
5: Good morning. Uh, Advertisers are going to back away from this thing. The heavy hitters like Pepsi and... uh, or, uh,
0: Visa, or, uh, Budweiser. yeah, McDonald's. They're
5: going to back away, but they've got to be careful, too, because what happens is when you hear a controversial issue like that, there's two sides. Yep. And if you pull out of it too fast and make a statement, you're going to alienate one side of the. The
0: equation. Well, well, yeah, because you know if you pull out, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll let you finish, but yeah, like this car dealer, it's a Ford dealership out in Denver that dropped Von Miller because of his protests. You know that there is a backlash uh, against this this dealership. People are saying, oh, this is terrible. You know, he's just expressing that he's exercising his First Amendment rights. So these advertisers really are caught in the trick box because one way or the other, um, now you pretty much have to take sides on this.
5: Well, and that's why the big ones that aren't making any statements, they've, they've made a decision inside. If it keeps up, they're going to back away from it, but they'll do it quietly. They won't renew contracts. They won't make a statement. They'll keep it on the down low and just back away from it and keep everybody happy.
3: Uh-huh. Basically what
5: I've done, i got a small company in Milwaukee. We've just made a decision. We're just not going to buy from anybody that is tied to the NFL or the Green Bay Packers. And we're not going to say anything Well, We're just going to go somewhere else.
0: Got it. Thanks for calling. Sure. No, you I, no. don't want to alienate them. Well, right, exactly. But you're, but nevertheless, sure. that, that's how you're going to play out. No, no. thanks for calling. I, I think there's probably some truth to that. Let's see. Our text line has exploded. Nike um, has my email advising them, I have purchased my last Nike product. This is not something that they can apologize for. All right, we continue with your calls. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 914 914 uh, now this is playing out in the realm of advertisers, and more and more advertisers are being essentially forced by the public to take a position. Are they going to pull back on sponsorships? I think it may in fact happen. It's 914. This is Jeff Wagner. 916, Jeff Wagner. Three Packers sit during the national anthem. What can we expect to happen Thursday when the team takes on the Bears? The voice of the Packers, Wayne Larrabee, joins John McCure in Wisconsin's Afternoon News to share his perspective at 320. This issue is not going away, and it has the potential to hit the NFL in the pocketbook. I actually think. I think if this continues, if the NFL can't figure out some way to resolve this matter and get some of the players to stop kneeling, I think you're going to see at least some sponsors be forced to simply stop putting their money in because of the backlash. 414-799-1620 is the number. Let's talk to, um, let's see, Bob in Brookfield. Bob, good morning here at 620 WTMJ. Uh,
6: good morning, Jeff. I uh, I will definitely be a boycotter. And uh, this morning I took down my Packer flag. I have a room I call the Packer room, uh, with a golden green floor. I don't know what I'm going to do about that, but all the paraphernalia, I got most of it out of there right now, and the rest will be gone in an hour or two.
0: Really? Okay, and so you're not not—you're not making this up. You, you, you're you really taking down all your Packer stuff because of this?
6: Absolutely. The bad, sad part of it is uh, a great deal of it was gifted to me. I probably have uh, thousand dollars with a close and uh, i think i'm just going to return everything to the people who gave it to me and the rest i'm probably going to burn
0: is there something you know there was an interesting series of videos You know, the pittsburgh steelers were one of the most uh one of the most uh vocal teams about protesting and there were these videos that are circulating around about a lot of people who were actually burning their, their pittsburgh steelers stuff is there anything the packers can do to get you back
6: uh, they can become uh, normal people again. Stand for the national anthem, and uh, get rid of any of the Linguinis that they have, and uh, troublemakers. And uh, that's it. I right now talking about last night's game. Uh, if I believe it was Pat McCaffrey who volunteered for uh, the military, and ultimately made the
0: Pat Tillman sacrifice. Pat Tillman.
6: Tillman. That's Tillman, it. Yeah, I,
0: yeah, Pat Tillman. Yeah, no, Pat Tillman.
6: Uh, at any rate, that was, I mean, I wonder
5: what he'd be thinking now.
0: Yeah, and thanks. For, well, I mean, right, and, you know, the former ball player. Now, now actually, um, you know, Pat Tillman's family is out saying that they don't think. They don't think his death would want to be politicized one way or the other. There, there's a lot of people that feel exactly like you do, Bob, and exactly like, like Hank, our, our first caller, did. I also, though, understand there's a lot of people on the other side, which is why the, this, is, this is my bigger point. The NFL screwed up by not dealing with this when it was a small matter. And now that again, President Trump has decided to interject himself into this. Now it really has become a big matter, Um, and now they got a problem. Uh, Darren on the east side, Darren, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning.
4: Hey, good morning. Uh, Yeah, it's uh, comes football. Boy, things really people get riled up. But uh, yeah, I don't think like major sponsors are will pull back because I think the although you have some pretty outspoken people, it kind of follows line. Long lines of people who really supported Trump, kind of the same idea. And, yeah, these guys are causing some problems, but it's a it's a platform they're using. Maybe it's not the best way, but it is a way. I'm a retired military but, uh, officer. Uh, I have no problem with it. I mean, that's part of the reason I served is that people have the right to protest. Mm-hmm. I don't take it as a disrespect to me because I think they've been very specific about this isn't a respect disrespect. The veterans are the flag. I mean, and at the end of the day, if there's a problem. 80, 85% of the athletes are African American, mm-hmm. and uh, in the NFL, they got a right to speak up. There's a problem. I mean, you're, you're covering your eyes if you don't think there's a problem with... Uh, well,
0: 25. I guess the, the question yeah. isn't do you have a right to speak up. The question is, do you have a right to use your forum during you know, work time and during game time to, to speak up in this fashion?
4: I mean, it depends on how
0: good a athlete you what you can do, I guess. <laughs> Maybe. Right. No, no thanks, no, thanks. See, that, that, that is, and I, I said this yesterday, and I do want to make this distinction. People think it, there, there's actually a, a silly editorial in the Journal Sentinel talking about free expression. Well, okay, here, here's the thing. The First Amendment, Uh, It does not come into play here. And and see, that gets lost in some of the commentary. The First Amendment essentially says government can't restrict the right of free speech. This is not government restricting the right of free speech. Employers have every right to do that within, I mean, I guess, certain limitations. If you, for example, are a reporter for a newspaper, you, you... you, your code of conduct, you, you can't sign petitions for recalls or you're going to get disciplined. You're, if you're a public school teacher, you're not supposed to wear political buttons into the classroom. I mean, is that a restriction on your rights to free speech? Well, yeah, to an extent, but again, it's not coming from the government per se. It is coming from your employer. And, and that's what I think the distinction is. I think the NFL had every right to say, all right, this is how we, you know, this is the behavior we expect you to engage in you know while you're in uniform on the field if the nfl were trying to restrict the player when they weren't in uniform and saying hey tuesday's your day off you know we don't want you going to a rally or something like that that might be a different story even in that case though it wouldn't be the government restricting you 414-799-1620 is the number we continue with more calls next it's 922 this is jeff wagner it's 924, Jeff Webster, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. How does a business take community commitment to a whole new level? Laura Kohler of Kohler Company shares her wisdom and experience with the New Walkie team in the Intersection of People and Place podcast up now on WTMJ Mobile. Let's talk to Wayne in Waukesha. Wayne, good morning.
5: Uh, good morning. Uh, I, I'm going to protest the uh, the uh, advertisers by turning off the TV during the uh, uh, timeouts, I'll listen to the radio to know when to start watching again. Uh, and I'm just going to avoid watching the uh, commercials and not supporting the advertisers.
0: Do you think a lot of people are going to do that, or is that just kind of talk right now?
5: I have no idea.
0: Okay, but uh, for you yourself, you're, you're going to stage your own little protest. That's That's how you're going to respond to this.
5: Yes, and that's the way I think others could respond as well.
0: Is there anything that the NFL could do to get you back?
5: Yeah, they could put a stop to this.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think. No, th- thanks for call. I again. I think this is, and this is why the people at the NFL. I'm sure, have to be kicking themselves. They wanted this issue to go away. And, and re- what really was a small issue with a handful of players, now, of course, with the president deciding that he's going to, he was going to get involved in this and turn this kind of into a, in a culture war in, in certain respects, now this has been I mean, put this issue front and center. It's put advertisers in a very, very difficult position because I think there's a lot of people I do, in fact, whether they actually act on it or not is the question. People say, I'm never going to watch football again. I'm never going to listen to football again. I'm never going to see this. Okay, well, when the Packers-Bears rolls around on Thursday night, you know, still, my guess is a lot of people are going to be glued to the TV. The question, though, becomes how will this influence games that you really don't care about that much? Let's talk to, um, let's see, Pat on the east side. Pat, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
6: Well, good morning. I'm going to continue to support advertising uh, that supports the NFL and to, who support the players. The players are the reason why we watch the uh, the league in the first place. You know, it's amazing here that we have this fake, uh, fake patriot, fake, fake uh, military guy, Trump, who spent the Vietnam War in bed, uh, betting everybody he could, and and that uh, he's now going to tell us uh, how to be uh, how to respect the flag. Give us a break. This is okay. ridiculous.
0: Do you think there's a lot of people, though, are, are, are there enough people who... And he's
6: probably a Russian traitor, too. So for us to even give that guy one minute of, of a credence is just silly.
0: It, but I can't Okay, but you think there's people, whether whether or not they're following the lead of the president, don't you think there's a lot of people who, on, in, on their own rights, are bothered by the protests?
6: Perhaps, but everything the president touches, he turns into chaos. Oh,
0: okay, just, well, th- again, okay, I, I don't... I, I just I, I I understand where that's coming from, but but to me, although President Trump is the one that has now brought this issue front and center, and again, I still don't know if he intended to do this or not, or whether this was an aside. And yes, I agree there is a degree of chaos, but that doesn't change the underlying issue. I mean, there were a lot of people who were upset with these acts of protest before President Trump started talking about it. What actually I think that the, the Trump factor was that now the NFL responded and the players responded in an anti-Trump statement and that's caused the whole thing to, to blow up again and now it's put the advertisers kind of on the hot seat. Um, Kevin sends me a text. I personally know of at least 20 people who stopped watching football this past weekend. One of them is me. These players have plenty of time when speaking to reporters to say what's on their mind. Unfortunately, the majority of the players Players are standing, and I feel bad for them that they are being punished by the lack of viewers. I believe this is just part of the way the world is going at this time. I don't know. How is this going to play out? Sam in McHenry. Sam, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
6: Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Well, you were correct in your statement that uh, they needed to get this under control. It started with Kaepernick about a year ago, and this is where it's gone. And they all took the bait from Trump now. The problem you have is the NFL is so PC'd up now. It's just beyond imagination. I don't know if you've read the statement that Goodell put out. I don't know if you've read the statement that Roger or um, Mr. Kraft that owns the Patriots put out, Jerry Jones, and unfortunately Aaron Rodgers. Nothing but a bunch of nonsensical cycle babble what they're saying. And they're making the problem worse. It, it, the pro- they need to shut their traps up and get out there and play football.
0: And the problem sure. has. And thanks. I'm sorry, me to cut you off, I'm kind of up against the clock, um, Sam. The the problem is it it has in fact, it has in fact gotten worse. And President Trump did them no favors, like I say, by deciding to uh, throw throw gasoline onto what I think was a couple dying embers but the NFL in my opinion has to get a handle on this they they, they do because there's a lot of people who feel very very strongly about this um, and I, I think the NFL needs to say no kneeling. I, I, I think they should have done that before. The stuff about standing and locking arms and things like that—that's that me. That's fine. I mean, that if you want to be engaged in shows of unity, I, I think people would be willing to accept that. But I think as long as these protests in this particular fashion go on, and as long as you let it go on, I think you're just asking for trouble. And, of course, all of this is, of course, a distraction from a lot of the larger issues that we have to deal with. It's 935, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ, two years and two sellouts. That means you can't hesitate. Get your tickets to this year's WTMJ holiday radio show to benefit Kids to Kids Christmas on November twenty seventh at Turner Hall in Milwaukee. You can hear the story of how WTMJ saves Christmas and see all your favorite voices on stage as you the live as you participate as the live audience. Tickets go on sale next Monday at noon at PAPSTheater.org, but be listening all this week to Wisconsin's Morning News and Wisconsin's afternoon news for your chance to win the tickets before you can buy them. How cool is that? All right. Big Story number two, the left refuses to let up on voter ID. All right, everybody knows, in Wisconsin, the last election was held with voter ID. You had to, heaven forbid, prove who you were before you could vote. And, of course, in part because Hillary Clinton lost and people are trying to grapple, at least some people are trying to grapple with an explanation for this, When, of course, the obvious explanation is she was a horrible, horrible candidate. We're, We're focusing on maybe this was this evil voter ID that suppressed voters. So there's this headline. Scott Warris is producing the show. This will make your head explode. Voter Wisconsin voter ID law deterred nearly 17,000 from voting. UW, ID, uh, UW says. All right, headline. So they got the headline they won in the Journal Sentinel. UW Madison study: more than 16,000 registered voters deterred by state photo ID law. All right. So I'm curious. First of all, this is this is junk science. But I'm wondering how they got this number. All right. So here's what they did. Okay. This this was paid for. By the taxpayers of Dane County. The uber lefty clerk of Dane County, Scott McDonald, who hates voter ID, he is a Democrat, he's an opponent of the law. He takes $55,000 in taxpayer money and hires UW Madison political scientist Ken Meyer, who's a lefty. And they say, let's do a study. Let's sample, let's figure out who didn't vote because of voter ID. So here is what they do. As God is my witness, I'm not making this up. They go through the voter ID lists in Milwaukee and in, in Dane County, and they see people who voted before and didn't vote. So they send out 2,400 surveys to these people who, who didn't vote, 2,400. The Of the 2,400 that they surveyed, only 293 surveys were returned. So they're only sampling 2,400, and they get almost no response. You, you get like... 293, slightly over 10%. So you only get 293 surveys that are returned. Alright, and then they ask you, why didn't you vote? The vast majority, the vast majority of the 293 surveys that were returned say, people say they didn't vote because they didn't like any of the candidates on the ballot, they didn't have the time to vote, they didn't think their vote would matter, etc. But 7% say they did not vote because of the voter ID law. Okay, 7% of 293 are 21 people. All right, 21 people say we didn't vote because of the voter ID law. And from that 21, without any follow-up or whatever, they extrapolate, well, these 21 people that sent this back, that means 17,000 people were disenfranchised from voting because of voter ID. They paid $55,000 to get this junk study. So this number you see is based on 21 people in either Dane County or Milwaukee County saying, well, we didn't vote because of voter ID. But again, with no follow-up to say, well, what exactly was it about the voter ID law that stopped you from, you know, being able to, to do this? And without any sort of pushing, this at all is it because you tried to get an ID and you weren't able to um, explain to us, you know where, you know this this came from. Um but, again, this is based on essentially a little over 20 people saying, well, you know, we, we, we didn't vote because of a voter ID. Number one, this is a pretty convenient thing to, to say, especially if you don't like the results or you don't like the voter ID law. This study, in my opinion, is not worth the paper it was printed on, and it certainly wasn't worth the $55,000 in taxpayer money that was spent to try to generate this result. Bigger picture, though, in a common sense real world, does anybody seriously believe that 16,000, people didn't vote in the last election because of voter ID? I mean, really? I can understand that maybe there would be a handful of people who tried to get an ID but weren't able to. But otherwise, I just don't buy this. Now, I have always argued that I don't think that voter ID really stops that much voter fraud. I think there's other ways you could do it. But at the same time, to suggest that 15 sixteen 17,000 people didn't vote because of the voter ID law, I think is absurd. This is the type of result-oriented stuff you get when you have an anti- an anti-voter ID clerk in Dane County who I think you know, wants to get a study that gets the headlines to say what he wants them to say. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you believe that 17,000 people really didn't vote because they couldn't get a photo ID? 414-799-1620, I just think this is complete and total hooey, and to base it on 21 responses to a survey is even more ridiculous. I'd love to talk to those 21 people, or maybe not. 414-799-1620. This is big story number two. Do you buy the fact that voter ID really disenfranchised 16,000 people in Wisconsin last year? It's 942. We're back with your calls in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 945. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Now, it's true that Wisconsin had the second-worst presidential election turnout decline since 2012, Um, during the 2016 election. But the reason, I think, was because Hillary Clinton was such an appalling candidate. It wasn't because of voter ID. And now you have this cockamamie survey paid for by Dane County, done by a UW-Wisconsin political science professor that concludes based on 290 surveys being returned and about 21 people saying well I was reluctant to vote I didn't vote because of voter ID that now comes this claim 16 to 17,000 people that didn't vote that's to me it's absolutely crazy I would love to interview those 21 people and ask them specifically what was it about voter ID let's get you under oath what was it about voter ID that stopped you from voting I mean look The reason why voter turnout was appalling is because people didn't like the candidates. In particular, Democrats in Wisconsin didn't like Hillary Clinton. John in Chicago. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
7: Hi, good morning. What do you think? Okay. I think, first of all, that uh, this whole thing about being disenfranchised, about not voting, I think that that, that's, that's wrong. I think it's not true, and I don't buy it. I think that the people, first of all, were lazy. And then you say that you, hey, problems getting uh, a voter ID card. All right, the next election is about a year away. You have a whole year, mm-hmm. a whole year now, to get any type of ID or credentials that you need to vote. As far as them being disenfranchised by Hillary and by uh,
3: Trump, President
7: yeah. Trump. Yep. Yeah, President Trump. I'm going to say President Trump. I'm not going to call him Trump. He is the president. Uh, I think that's wrong, too. I think that they thought that Hillary was a shoe-in and that they were too lazy to go ahead and vote.
0: Yep, I agree. I agree with you.
7: Yeah, and as far as her being the worst candidate, no, she wasn't the worst. Hillary, actually, of the ones running out there, was probably the best-read, the most knowledgeable candidate out there, with the exception of probably Barney. And uh, people just decided to vote for Trump. But the reason, in my opinion, that they voted for Trump is that, first of all, they had uh, President Obama whom a lot of people didn't like. And then they figured that if Hillary got elected, then that was just more Obama. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, they were already shaky. And then when they found out that there were going to be 10,000 Muslims they were going to bring into the country, the whites in America said, Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're completely losing the country. And as far as people saying disenfranchised, that's crap
0: yeah no I say I, I, everybody 's got different everybody 's got different theories, and you know when i say Hillary was a horrible candidate, I think she ran a terrible campaign. I think she felt that she was going to win. I agree with you on that she didn 't even campaign in Wisconsin and then is surprised that gee, you know that the turnout underperforms it's just it it wasn 't voter id it it just wasn 't and i mean we 've been talking about voter ID for years, and this idea that this idea that suddenly you have thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are somehow surprised on election day. I mean, I'll give. But here's the other thing: you show up without voter ID. If you show up without proper ID, you're not turned away. You are. You're allowed to cast a provisional ballot, and then what happens is then you come back and you show the appropriate ID, and your ballot count counts. And you know, um, I think what are the numbers? 590 provisional ballots um, were, were cast because voters lacked ID. Okay, so those are people, but those aren't people who necessarily don't have voter ID, an ID. Those are people who didn't bring their driver's license or whatever. I mean, look, if you were to say to me that this, this stopped a handful of people from being able to vote because they, they didn't want to make the effort to go get an ID, I would believe you. I mean, a handful, but... 16,000? No way. Alexandra in Shawano, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
2: Hi, um, Hi. I definitely believe that that number could be accurate. However, I don't think the study was done very well.
0: Tell me why you think it could be accurate.
2: Well, personally, I'm a college student, and a lot of the people I knew had a really hard time getting an ID if they didn't have one. Um it was a huge hassle for them, and some of them, um, their IDs didn't come until after the election, even though they had them um, expedited. And then some people-
0: um, Where do you go to school? Are these out-of-state students you're talking about?
2: Um, I go to Madison.
0: Okay, so are these like, I mean, are, are these, because if you're an in-state student, presumably you've got a driver's license or something, are these like out-of-state students who um, were, were here for the, that semester? I mean, uh, who, who actually who also resides somewhere else. Is that who we're talking about?
2: Um, it was in-state and out-of-state. But, um, I mean, as a college student, you can vote in the state mm-hmm. that you go to college. Yeah, right.
0: No, I wasn't saying they were doing anything illegal. I was just kind of, I was sort of wondering, because most yeah. in-state students would have a driver's license or some sort of ID card, I would imagine.
2: Yeah, um, some of the people that were, like, from the city areas, and especially... Um a lot so a lot of the students that lived in the inner cities um just took public transportation so they never got a driver's license. Um and then also I um I know that um I have a fairly conservative political science professor who's really against voter IDs and um one of the reasons is it's kinda hard for some people to get IDs if they don't have one. Um some older people or some people that are maybe um not as rich, have trouble getting access to the information needed to get an ID.
0: Why do you say that? I mean, because the, the truth is if you don't have an ID, you can't do pretty much anything in this country. I mean, you you really believe that there's tens of thousands of people out there who want IDs but can't get them? Yeah. Huh. All right. Well, thank, well, thanks for, well not you,
2: necessarily you, can't get them, but maybe can't get them in time or as quickly or as easily as they should be able to
0: vote. Well, I mean, I guess, uh, Alexander. I, I'm sorry, I just don't... I, I mean, first of all, people have known about that. people knew about this for a long period of time. If there was that... And, and the point I've always made about voter ID was, first of all, if, if you don't have an ID, you are, if, if you're kind of on the fringe of society and you don't have an ID, they're, they're, you pretty much can't do anything in American society. And so what we should be concentrating on doing is getting people IDs. But uh, again, the... You could have gone down, if somebody didn't have the appropriate ID, you could have cast a provisional ballot. And there were only, you know, there weren't that many provisional ballots that ended up, you know, being cast. Um, Now, also, we talk about students. Um, You know, student ID cards can be used to vote in Wisconsin. A student ID, I was just pulling it up because I'm pretty sure of this, a student ID is one of eight types of photo ID that can be used in Wisconsin. Um, your student ID has to include your name, your signature, your photo, the date the card was issued, and the date the card expires. Um, you must also provide a document that shows you are enrolled at the school at the time of, of election. Okay, so, I mean, student ID cards, you know, there's, there's really no excuse for, for example, a student who is actually enrolled at UW, for example. I mean, all you need is, all you need is your student ID card, and you need a class schedule, a tuition fee receipt, an enrollment verification letter, certified campus housing list, and there's all sorts of other documents as well. So, th- this idea that there's all these students that were disenfranchised, Again, I, I just don't, I don't think I, I mean, I forget don't think, I mean, I just don't buy it. Student ID cards could have been used to, to vote. So, I don't know, the election was in November. Campus, what, classes start in August or September. I mean, what are you doing in the campus if you don't have that student ID card? Just just saying. It's 950, I'm sorry, I just, this study is junk science. This was $55,000 that they spent to try to get a headline. They got the headline, the headline. The survey is absolutely ridiculous, in my opinion. All right, when we come back, Chris Abley, remember I told you that he was trying to reinstitute the wheel tax? Well, he's also got this interesting scheme cooked up. He wants you to pay to park at the lakefront, and the way the Park Service is trying to get support is interesting. I'll tell you all about it. Stick around. It's 954. (laughs) 954. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Just six games left in Milwaukee's Hunt for Brew October. And it begins with their final home series of the year. The Reds visit Miller Park tonight to kick off a three-game set. Bob Euchre and Jeff Levering have the call starting at 6.05 here on WTMJ. With their a game and a half behind the Colorado Rockies. Colorado lost last night. Um, I I think they've got to win five. I don't think Colorado's going to lose more than one more game. Hope I'm wrong. So that means if Colorado loses one more, and the Brewers, um, I, I think they're 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 going to have to win five of six, or probably all six. Um, but wouldn't that be fun? It's still just great. It's the last week of the season, and at least we're still talking about playoffs. How tremendous is that? Uh, a lot of people. Punched out of electoral politics? Is there another election? Um, well, there is an election. Not around here. There's an election in Alabama today. It's going to be interesting. It's the Republican primary, and in, in Alabama, it is a state that is overwhelmingly Republican. So it really, it. I don't think it matters who comes out of this primary as the winner. I think they're going to go on to win huge. But it is interesting because you've got a conservative, supported by President Trump running against an ultra-conservative. Um, Luther Strange is the conservative Is who is running. He was appointed. This is the Senate seat that was held by Jeff Sessions. Jeff Sessions left the Senate to become the Attorney General. Luther Strange, um, that's his name, is the guy that was appointed by President Trump. He's the one that President Trump was doing a rally for on Friday where we got all the NFL comments. He is trailing badly in the polls to Roy Moore, who is a former state supreme. He's a former Alabama chief justice who ran into all sorts of problems on the bench because of, some of his extremely conservative positions. Um, Roy Moore is is actually ahead in a lot of the polls. So now this is going to be the question. You know, is can, can the support of Trump can that translate into support for Luther Strange? I think Roy Moore ends up winning, and I think he's going to go on to be the next senator from Alabama. Alright, when we come back, big story number three. I'm going to tell you what Chris Abley is trying to do at the parks and how he's trying to do it, which is interesting as well. It's (laughs) 959. It's 1008. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, I don't want to bury the lead on this, but how I got to this story, it's kind of a funny lead up to this. Um, Chris Abley, the Milwaukee County Executive, who refuses to take no for an answer. I think we talked about yesterday or two days, it must have been yesterday, about how he is, um, he, he wants the wheel tax. He proposed a $60 wheel tax in Milwaukee County. The county board gave him a $30 wheel tax. It went to a referendum. It went down 72 to 28%, and Ably is back saying, give me the $60 wheel tax. The other thing that he tried to do in last year's budget is he tried to impose one-hour parking fees for the lakefront. He wanted to raise about $1.5 million in revenue, and his idea was... For all you people who go down to the lakefront to picnic and things like that, he wanted you to have to pay a dollar per hour. So you go down to see the fireworks. He wanted you to have to pay for the privilege of parking. And of course, we already pay because we support the, the county parks. That went absolutely nowhere. Well, Ably is back, and and he's still in this new budget. He wants the dollar. He wants the dollar per hour. Parking fee at various locations throughout the county. All right, so uh, we're going to talk about that in just a second. But how I got here was kind of interesting. I had that on my list of things to to talk about, and and yesterday afternoon, I I get an email from from a listener. um, For your information, here we go again, and they forwarded to me an email that was being sent out under the signature of John Dargle, who is the director of the Milwaukee County Parks, and it's an email. To business partners, or at least this is what it purports to be. It's an, e- and I believe this to be accurate. But I'll tell you the story of how I tried to verify this. It it it, it, it it's, un- it's It's goes out under the signature of, of John Dargle, who's the director of the Milwaukee County Parks. It is addressed to business partners. Greeting business partners. Greetings business partners. So it's being sent to people who do business with the county parks. As you're aware, Milwaukee County continues to receive less funding from the state each year. While state funding support for the county continues to dramatically decrease, county taxpayers are required to send more revenue to the state. As a result, our treasured Milwaukee County park system is directly impacted. Blah, 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 blah. County Executive Chris Abley believes we need sources of dedicated parks revenue to help us maintain and sustain our world-class parks, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then it goes on to say that we want you to support the provision in the budget that Abley is having to generate um, $1.6 million in revenue from paid parking. So this is the county parks director sending something out to, uh, again, the, the business partner saying, we, we want you to support this. Attached to it, is is a letter that they have drafted <laughs> that that's, um, that says, okay, you can fill this out. It's a letter it says, dear County Executive Chris Abley, Milwaukee County Supervisors, and then it goes on to say, you know, we support. They've written the letter for you. We support what Abley wants with the parking fee. So, and then it asks you to send it to Abley and the Milwaukee County Board of Supervisors. So they're they're sending their business partners this this letter. Okay. Um, I, was, I was just curious about it because I'm thinking, okay, you're, you're talking about now people who do business with the county and you're sending them this, this email that says, we want you to support this tax increase. Here's the letter that we want you to send. Now, I have no doubt that, again, this is correct, but I decided I wanted to call Dargle and find out, just ask him, hey, is, is this really true? Um, and see what he had to say about it. So yesterday afternoon, um, and this was all happening yesterday afternoon. I call the county parks. Okay, I call at 4:34, 4:34, and I get the recording. Our offices are eight. Our, our office hours are eight to 4:30. All right, office closed. Okay, so I think well maybe there's somebody there answering the phones. So you know you punch. Operator and a lot of times you get the direct line. I go to punch operator, and I get the thing. All right, nope, nobody's here to answer your your phones. Leave a message. Well, okay, I know how that's going to work out. So I I did, I admit, I had the image of the start of the old Drew Carey show. I don't know if you ever, ever saw that Drew Carey show, but at the beginning of it, they had all these people sitting in an office just staring at the clock. And the minute that clock hand struck 4.30 or 5 or whatever, boom, we're putting on the answering machine, we're heading out. So, okay, all right, but the office is closed. But that's okay. Call back at 8 o'clock in the morning. So this morning, as I'm watching the high-speed non-police chase, I get into the work. I'm sitting here. Okay, 8.05. Call the county parks. Still get the same recording. All right? Hit O, because now it, it, the office is open. All right? Hit operator to get so get a person. Nope. Um, sorry, nobody's available to answer your call. Okay, it's 8.05. I understand. Maybe some people aren't around. We call back. 8.15. Nope. No answer. Nobody around answered. 825. Nope. Nobody's still answering. So I, I have not spoken to Mr. Dargle to confirm this, but I have no doubt that this is, in fact, the, the case. The larger point, though, I mean, it is, it's like heaven forbid, you know, somebody. Heaven forbid, you know, somebody should be around actually. Well, we've closed the office, and it's 8 o'clock. There's nobody here to answer the calls. There's nobody here to answer the calls. Um, but regardless, I, I believe this is probably correct. But the larger point of this is that Abley is back wanting to charge people to park at the lakefront. The county board said no last year. Said, look, we don't think that we should have to charge people for doing this and you know if a family wants to go down and watch the fireworks on the 4th of July they shouldn't have to pay a dollar an hour to park to do that 414-799-1620 that is the ACUNET mortgage talk and text line I it, it almost pains me to say this because you've got the Milwaukee County Board of Supervisors that is a clown car act but you know what They got it right last year when they said no to these parking charges at the lakefront. And despite what at least seems to me to be an effort by the county parks director to encourage business partners of the county to gin up support for a tax increase, which is what parking is, I think the county board should continue to just say no. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, should we start charging people to park in various spots in the county parks including along the lakefront i say no 4147991620 is the number what do you think if you're on the line please hold on we discuss next it's 1016 It's ten eighteen. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. In light of Gateway Tech announcing campus expansions tied to the arrival of Foxconn, there might be yet another big winner in Wisconsin's economic future. Scafidi and Bill Stat—they've got the story. Be sure you tune in at one forty-five this afternoon to check that out. Yeah, um, this is again—it's—it's it's one of the things that I, I think you, you have to realize when you are dealing with the Milwaukee County executive who just refuses to take no. For an answer, um, the idea with the parks has been okay. Let let us support the parks, and our, of course, our property taxes do go. If you like me are Wisconsin is our Milwaukee County resident, your property taxes do go, you, and they are used to support the parks. Well, what Abely wants to do is he wants to impose just like a regressive wheel tax. Um, he wants to impose what would be a regressive parking fee down at the lakefront or in various in various places so if you're a family going down to the lakefront because you want to enjoy the lakefront um, and you want to park, not in private lots, but along the public areas of the lakefront, you would now have to pay a dollar an hour. The county board said, no, we, we don't want to do that. And they said no last year. Well, Abley is back. He wants them again, just like he wants a $60 wheel tax. He wants them to say no. He wants them to say yes this year. And apparently they're trying to encourage people who do business with the county to fill out and sign a letter that they have drafted that they then send to the county supervisor. So, first of all, if you were a Milwaukee County supervisor and you get one of these letters, I I think I'd be a little bit skeptical of of that as to whether this is, well, just something that just kind of came out of the clear blue. But the bigger point of all this, I mean, the bigger point of all this is the whole notion that at some point in time, are we going to tax everything? Are we going to tax the air that we breathe? You would think that if you want to encourage use of the parks, what we would be doing is we would be making it as easy as possible for people to use the parks when they want to, not imposing parking fees in the public parks that we already pay for. Um, just just saying. Let's see. Um, our text line. Crime is up and the parking fee is up, and you want me to spend my money? I don't think so. Now, here's the other idea, though. It's a great idea, $1 per hour. As a resident of the city of Milwaukee, it would be awesome to go to the lake and maybe find parking. So, yeah, I mean, if in your city, I understand that you're used to, like, having to pay to park and feed those parking meters, but at the same time, you're also a resident of the county. Do you expect that you should also have to pay the county money? This is one of these situations where the county board got it right last year and hopefully they're not going to be bamboozled into thinking that there's some AstroTurf effort out there where the people that you know do business with the county really are in favor of charging people more money to come down and use the county parks. It's just not going to happen. All right, we're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about co-sleeping and we're going to be talking about the latest controversy involving gay marriage. Stick around. It's 1022. It's 1024, Jeff Wagner 620, WTMJ, just six games left in Milwaukee's Hunt for Brew October, and it begins with their final home series of the year. The Reds visit Miller Park tonight to kick off a three game set. Bob Uchra and Jeff Levering have the call starting at 605 here on WTMJ. Later on this year, the United States Supreme Court is going to hear arguments, and we've talked about this before, in what's called the, the Masterpiece Cake Shop. This is the, the Colorado baker who was solicited to bake a cake and decorate a wedding cake for a gay couple. And he said, look, because of my religious beliefs, I, I, I believe I, I'm an artist. And, and this is one of my forms of baking This cake, baking wedding cakes is my, one of my forms of artistic expression. Um I just my religion teaches me that same-sex marriage is wrong, and I, I'm just I'm not going to bake you a cake. You you feel free to buy cakes that we have here. Feel free to buy cookies and all that stuff. But I I, I think I have a First Amendment right um, to to not be compelled to do something which is in violation of my religion. Okay, the the same-sex couple did not agree. They filed a complaint with the Colorado Civil Rights Division. In Colorado, there is a state statute which says that um, sexual orientation is a protected class. This guy was discriminating against them. Um, The Supreme Court has ultimately agreed to hear this case. And I I don't know. um, I, I think it's going to be a close call as to how they come down on this. There's a similar sort of case which has been bubbling up as well, and and it comes out it comes from Minnesota and I want to share it with you. It's and I, I want to see how you feel about this. I mean, here's the deal. It's a it's a Saint Cloud, Minnesota, couple, and what they do is they run their business is wedding videography. So you know you hire them and they come out and they film your wedding it, it, and things like that. All right now. They, they have this business and their business, and they make it very, very clear, um, they, they advertise and they say you know part part of our business involves our, our Christian beliefs. Um, and what we, we're, we're just going to be very upfront about this, we're because of our Christian beliefs. We are not going to provide our services for same sex weddings. Now, maybe you agree with them, maybe you don't, maybe you think that that's silly and bigoted and stupid, okay, but they say this is our sincere, our religion teaches us that, you know, same sex marriage is wrong. And we we choose not to do the video services for that. So they make that clear up front. And because they don't want to get into a situation like the got happened to the Baker in Colorado where they get sued and fined, what they do is they start a lawsuit. They They say, look, we know what the Minnesota policy on this is. We think we have a First Amendment right not to be forced to do this. So rather than having the gay couple come in, try to hire them, and then getting sued and fined, they start a lawsuit. They, they challenge this. We say, we want an injunction stopping Minnesota from being able to fine us or prevent us from doing this. They say, look, this is clearly artistry. You know, we, we're filmmakers, This is what we are. We're wedding videographers, but we're also filmmakers. We put this together, we edit this stuff together. This is, I mean, this is artistic expression, and there's no question that our sincerely held religious beliefs tell us, in our opinion, that, you know, same sex marriage is wrong. We choose not to do this. So they filed this lawsuit saying, um, we don't think Minnesota should be able to fine us for this position. They have now lost. A federal judge has thrown out the lawsuit saying that it is discriminatory for them to refuse to provide their services to same sex couples. And what the judge says is he says this conduct, refusing to um, do your service to offer the videography, the wedding videography, is conduct akin to white applicants only sign. Um, and it says, you know, this is, you know, just like you, you couldn't refuse to hire somebody because they're not white, you can't refuse to provide these type of services to somebody because they are gay. So now, the couple says, wait, the, the, the husband and wife say, no, wait a second. Th- this, is, this is different. There's no religion out there which says that you can discriminate against somebody based on race. In this particular case, this is the argument they make, our religious beliefs that we have a First Amendment right to tell us that doing this is wrong. They argue our First Amendment beliefs, our religious beliefs, should trump the... stat no, no reference to President Trump. Our religious beliefs should trump... Um, our obligation to provide services for the same-sex couple, especially since there's all sorts of wedding videographers out there who would be willing to do it. It's not like they're not going to be able to go to somebody who wants to do it. All four one four seven nine is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should the wedding videographers be compelled to film same-sex weddings Even though everybody agrees, it would violate their religious beliefs. Is this the equivalent of saying, we're not going to serve black people at a lunch counter? 414-799-1620. We will discuss, and I'll tell you where I come down on this when we come back. But uh, I'm curious as to what you think. This is the latest Masterpiece Cake Shop case. (laughs) It's 10:35. Jeff Wagner, 6:20. WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, this is the the latest um, question on on same-sex marriage that's going to be going through the court system. It's this couple. They are they are wedding videographers, and and they make it very very clear. They started their business and they've set up front. We are, you know, because of our religious beliefs, we believe same-sex marriage is wrong. Maybe you agree with them, maybe you disagree with them, but it's clearly a deeply held and sincere religious belief. They say, um, we want a court decision. Are we going to get fined if we refuse to do same-sex weddings? Federal court said, absolutely, this is violative of the law. The, the law providing that you can't discriminate against people based on sexual orientation trumps your personal religious beliefs. Is that right or wrong, Andrew? On the north side, Andrew. Good morning. You're at six twenty WTMJ.
3: Hey,
8: morning. What do you think? Um. So I, you know, I really think that uh, it's it's all about equality here
0: in the USA,
8: and um, I think equality is more important than personal religious beliefs. Okay. I think that for religious beliefs are more for you know your your home when you're at home. You, what you do on your own time. But when you're offering a service to the public, you have to follow the rules.
0: Okay, How, let me ask you this. How far would you carry that? Let's say, for example, that this, this gay couple wanted to be married in the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church teaches that um, marriage is between a man and a woman. Do you think the Catholic Church should be obligated, do you think the priest should be obligated to perform that same-sex wedding, that same-sex marriage, or could the priest and the church discriminate?
8: See, that's that's kind of a gray area to me. Um, I, I don't think they would go to a, a... Why would anyone want to get married at a church? Well...
0: Okay, but well, 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 all right, but then why why would you, why would you want to go to a wedding videographer um, that that doesn't that doesn't believe and doesn't want to do your wedding? I mean, I guess you know wh- why would you go to them as opposed to all the other people who might. Might do it. I mean, I I agree with you. I, I don't understand why you'd go to a wedding videographer. I don't understand why, if you know yeah. that the guy that makes the cakes feels that way about your wedding, I don't understand why you'd hire him as opposed to hiring somebody else. And I, yeah. I agree. You know, I, so I guess I don't. I, okay. Thanks for calling. I mean, I say I raise that question because I mean, it, I mean, and Andrew's point was I, I think religious freedoms don't trump the equality thing but then all right well how far do you carry that can you compel can you compel the the priest to do that um is it different if you're not being If you're not being married by, say, a a priest, but you're being married by, I don't know, somebody who does private services, could they refuse to do this? I mean, at what point in time, and again, I, I understand part of the slippery slope of this is how do you determine if somebody has a deeply held and sincerely held religious belief, um, but I, I think everybody accepts for the sake of argument that the, this particular case just like in the cake shop case they, they do four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Pat in West Dallas Pat, you're on 620 WTMJ Good morning
9: Hi okay. um, I heard the previous call You have religious issues and you have um, racial issues
3: This mm-hmm.
8: should not be compared like the judge had said Right. Like not having, uh, no, like not serving blacks at a lunch counter.
3: Right.
8: Um, religious freedom is protected by the Constitution. And racial issues are protected by the Constitution. But you cannot be denied the practice of your religion because you want to make it a
0: racial mm-hmm. type issue. Civil rights. Silver, how about the whatever. idea? How about the idea of of the business? If you're if you're setting up shop, you're you're in you're in business to do to film weddings. Should Start you be able to discriminate based on your religion about the couples that come in?
8: I don't see that as discriminating. I see it as a disagreement of religious values, right. but. I also heard about this case with the wedding cakes, that,
5: oh no, it was the um, uh, the, the wedding cakes or the flowers, but.
0: Okay, well, th- the, thanks, for the call, thanks for the call, Pat. I mean, I, I, again, this is, I mean, see, this is where, I, I think the racial analogy breaks down. I, I agree with you, because I think that. Would anybody argue that you should be able to have that whites-only lunch counter, or only hire, you know, only take white applicants? Of course, I don't think anybody would argue that. But, but in that case, you're not arguing that it is your religious belief that, that says I'm not going to serve. It, it's my religious belief tells me not to serve um, African Americans, for example. That that's not it. This is a much more difficult situation because. It is the conflict between a sincerely held religious belief and the, the rights of the same-sex couple. Now, look, I, I one of the reasons I have difficulty with this issue is I, I don't have a problem with same-sex marriage. And I know a lot of people just disagree with me on that, and that, that's fine. I, I I don't have a problem with it. But at the same time, I, I also have a problem with telling people that just because they are a particular business that they have to... Again, leave their sincerely held religious beliefs at the doorstep if they're going to conduct the the business. I have a problem with that as well because you you I, I, this to me. It's the government saying, okay, this law trumps your religious uh, your legitimate religious belief. Let's talk to Mike and Racine. Mike, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Uh,
10: yes, no, I don't think they should be compelled because it's uh, legally it's expressive conduct. Uh, think about a uh, for uh, just an obvious example. Should a uh, white supremacist be able to go into a black print shop or an African American print shop and demand that that person uh, print for the, uh, the recruiting posters, mm-hmm. for example, for a white supremacist organization? Of course not. The wedding photographer, the the individual who decorates cakes, who, in whatever is involved in expressive conduct, and a, a critical distinction is that you're making that person actually advocate for, in in subtle and not so subtle ways, for a, a viewpoint with which they disagree. Not only just on by rights of conscience, but obviously in addition.
0: Right, the, the religious uh, so it's not just that they disagree well. yeah no think I mean see and, and that, that's it's right it's not just that they disagree it's that it is violative of the religious standards and that's that's where I think it gets really really difficult here um let's see um uh, what if a contractor refused to build a mosque due to their religious beliefs well I, I guess uh, again I, I'm not sure what religion. Would tell you that you, you know, and and that's the problem that you have with this. Um, if the court, I would, I'm, by the way, I'm not going to be surprised at all if the court rules in favor of the baker. Which will then mean this videographer can do what the videographer wants to do. Um, I'm not going to be surprised at all because of the, the sincere religious belief. I, I think what's going to happen then is it will open the door to people who are going to claim religion as a basis for doing other forms of discrimination, and you're going to have to look at that on a case by case basis. But don't be surprised at all to see I, again the Supreme Court resolve this. And while well, you could go broke, like I always. Say, trying to guess what a court is going to do i I'm, I'm I will predict I think that the mess I think the baker is going to end up winning and I think that means the videographer is going to win as well and it does raise the, the question that you know our first caller asked is that why why if you if somebody feels this way regardless of whether or not the law requires them to why why would you go to them and try to hire them anyways I mean if somebody just doesn't believe in what you're doing aren't Aren't weddings supposed to be like happy events? I, I, I think so. So why would you, you know, hire somebody who clearly, because of their religious beliefs, right or wrong, feels that what you are doing are wrong? I just don't get that either. It's 1044. This is Jeff Wacker. It's 1048, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. As we speak, big doings at the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. The Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, Here's all federal appeal cases coming from the federal courts in Wisconsin, Indiana, and Illinois. Typically, and I, I've talked about this before, typically the way it works is when there is an appeal of a decision. Um, it goes to the Seventh Circuit, and they have a panel of three judges. I, off the top of my head, there's a couple of vacancies. I want to say there's ten full time judges on the Seventh Circuit right now. Could be, could be more. Um, there's a couple appointments that are in process, but but it, it typically goes to a three judge panel. And that three-judge panel comes out with a ruling, and normally that's the, the end of it. What can happen is the party that loses can see if the, the United States court, Supreme Court will take the case, that and that's that's sort of like a long shot. The Supreme Court doesn't take that many cases. So that's why appellate courts are very, very important. Brendan Dassey, of course, made famous in the Stephen Avery making a murderer case. Uh, Brendan Dassey, who was convicted in the 2005 murder of Teresa Halbach in Manitowoc County. He was convicted based in part on a detailed confession that he made. The case went through the state court system, and his conviction was affirmed. The state courts found that there was nothing wrong or improper with the techniques that the investigators used to get the confession. So that would have normally been the end of it. Except Dassey's attorneys went to federal court in Milwaukee and they filed what was known as a writ of habeas corpus. They, they asked the federal, in this case it was a magistrate judge. Magistrate judges are kind of like junior judges. They're sort of like the equivalent of court commissioners, but on a federal level... Um, they asked a magistrate judge who was assigned the case to find that the state courts were wrong and that Dassey's federal constitutional rights were violated. And I think that the magistrate judge surprised a lot of people by, by doing that. I mean, he issued a ruling which um, essentially, in my opinion, rewrites the law on judicial interrogations. So the case then was appealed to the Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. There was a three-judge panel that heard the case. And by a two-to-one vote, the judges agreed with the magistrate and said, yes, we think his rights were, were violated. Um, I think this was a decision that surprised a bunch of people. So what the state did is the state said, all right, look, we're not going to try to appeal this to the Supreme Court. We're going to ask for what is called a rehearing en banc, which means we're going to ask all the sitting judges on the Seventh Circuit to hear all the active judges in the Seventh Circuit to hear the case. Um, in all the years I, I I had a lot of arguments in front of the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, I, I had one en banc argument. It, it just it doesn't happen, and it typically only happens if there's some significant issue that a number of the judges feel isn't properly addressed by the um, panel, the two judge three judge decision. So starting at ten o'clock today. Um, there's a one-hour argument that's scheduled, and so that's going on right now in front of the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. But all the judges who will ultimately have to decide whether or not Dassey's rights were, were violated. Um, it's going to be interesting because if the Seventh Circuit, sitting in its entirety, agrees that his rights were violated, then Brad Schimmel, the Attorney General, has got a tough decision to make. He's got to decide, um, are, do I retry him? And let's face it, it's very difficult to retry somebody 10 years, 12 years after the, the incident. Witnesses witnesses retire, witnesses' memories fade away, people move out of town. It's very, very difficult. And without Dassey's confession, while retrying him is not an impossibility, it, it becomes definitely more difficult. So this is a big decision. Um My guess, and again, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I know some people disagree with me. I think, with all due respect, the magistrate judge was wrong. I think the panel decision was wrong. I think the Seventh Circuit is going to uphold Dassey's conviction. That's what I think is going to happen, but again, could be wrong in that. Whichever side loses will try to take the case to the U.S. Supreme Court, and I guess I'm not sure whether there's enough of an issue here that would cause the Supreme Court to want to take this case or not, but um Big Day, if you're following the whole making of the murderer thing, none of this has anything to do with the Stephen Avery case. This is the issue that's being raised with regard to Brendan Dassey is uniquely Brendan Dassey. And even if Dassey wins, that doesn't mean Stephen Avery is any closer to getting released. But it, it will make interesting theater, I guess, when you have the next round of a uh, making a murderer that comes out. Again, if I had to go out on a limb... My prediction would be the Seventh Circuit upholds the underlying conviction, which means reversing the panel decision and reversing the federal magistrate. Uh, time will tell, though. It's 1054. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1056. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Mike Spaulding with breaking news. Yeah, Jeff, the breaking news right now. The jury in the Joseph Jacobowski trial, they do have a verdict. A verdict has been reached. They had been deliberating since yesterday afternoon on that case. They will be handing it to a judge momentarily. We will uh, continue to update this story throughout the morning as it progresses. Okay. Now, sometimes it's hard to predict what juries are going to do and what courts are going to do. I mean, sometimes it's hard to predict them. And then other times it's not so hard. But let me let me go out on a limb here and say I will be stunned, absolutely stunned, if this verdict is, is not guilty on some or all the counts. But, you know, who knows? I am, am, can I tell you for certain how the Supreme Court's gonna decide the Masterpiece Cake Shop case? No, I, I can't. I, I think they're gonna side with the Cake Baker, but I could be wrong. Can I tell you for sure how the entire Court of Appeals in the Seventh Circuit is gonna decide the Brendan Dassey case? I think I have an idea, but I can't tell you for sure. I think this particular case, I, I think that the verdict, um If it is anything other than guilty, it will be a complete head-scratcher. All right, I want to revisit something we talked about at the very start of the show because there have been some new developments. Um, Obviously, the the big social issue that's been getting all the attention has been the the NFL issue. Earlier today, we talked about it from the perspective of is this going to hurt the NFL and what are advertisers going to do? Uh, President Trump, who refuses kind of like a dog with a bone, who refuses to let stuff go, is out with another tweet this morning. And and here's what, what he says. He says it is time for the NFL to simply ban its players from kneeling in protests at games while the U.S. National Anthem is played. This is what the tweet says. The NFL has all sorts of rules and regulations. The only way out is for them to set a rule that you can't kneel during our National Anthem. Okay, so this, of course, if the NFL had done this a year ago, I, I think they we wouldn't have the problem they have now. You've got ratings that are you know, questionable, you've got advertisers that are getting a little bit you know, on edge. Now President Trump is coming out and saying, look, they should just have a rule saying you can't do this. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, should the NFL pass a rule which simply says, This is unacceptable. You've got to stand. If you want to link arms, if you want to do any of that stuff, that's fine. But you can't deal during the national anthem should the NFL simply have a rule. And they do have all sorts of rules that affect everything. Is the president right? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. It's 1059. It's 11:08. This is Jeff Wagner. Okay, let me start off the segment by debunking what is a myth that, that um, uh, and and I know people you have read something, perhaps you've read it on the internet, but you're you're not right if you've read this. It, it's a it is a hoax. There is nothing right now in the NFL rules which require players to stand on the sidelines um, during the playing of the national anthem now over the weekend there there's this thing that was circulating i'm looking at it and it's and it's 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 written really believable the specific rule pertaining to the national anthem is found on pages a62 a63 of the nfl league rule book and it states that you must stand okay that's not true um no wording and i'm looking at this now no wording like this appears in the current version of the official playing rules of the National Football League, which is their operation manual, uh, pages 62 and pages 63 contain only regulations about the enforcement of fouls committed on the field during game play, and again nowhere else. Does the document specify anything about either the playing of the national anthem prior to games or the required behavior of players and team personnel during the ceremony? Um, the official rule book makes no mention of the national anthem at all. So um, that, that's just kind of the backdrop. And I know a lot of people saw this and it looks really believable. I, I just I'm pretty sure it's a hoax. As a matter of fact, I'm I'm positive it's a hoax. It's not in the rule book, but that doesn't mean it couldn't be. And I guess that's where we are now. President Trump, earlier this morning, not letting this issue die, came out with a tweet saying, it's time for the NFL to impose a rule requiring players to not kneel during games when the U.S. National Anthem is played. And his point is, the tweet says, the NFL has all sorts of rules and regulations. The only way out for them is to set a rule that you can't kneel during our National Anthem. I think for a variety of reasons, the NFL would be smart to implement a rule like this. I think they should have implemented this before. You know, if teams want to stand during the national anthem and, again, lock arms for unity or something like that, that's fine. But, yes, I think that they could make this entire issue go away by imposing a ruling like this. I don't think it unfairly restricts the players' First Amendments, free speech rights. That has nothing to do with what an employer can and cannot say. I think that it has you know freedom of expression. Well, okay, you've got all sorts of stuff to do on your own time. But this is hurting the NFL in the eyes of many. And yeah, I think that this would be a good rule and some people might not like it, but tough. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. Yes, I agree with the president. I think the NFL should have this rule. And if you've heard otherwise, I'm sorry, I just don't think the information is correct. They don't have a rule like this in place now. Let's start with Mike on the south side. Mike, you're first. Good morning. Mike. Mike, Mike, not Mike, Mike. Okay, lost Mike. 414-799-1620. Is a rule like this in order? Dave in Appleton. Dave, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
6: Absolutely. Absolutely should be a rule. Tell me why. Because you do not disrespect the flag of the United States of America, period.
0: Now, some players would, some people would say this isn't respecting, it's not intended to disrespect the flag. It's just their way to make a statement on conditions in this country.
6: Yeah, tough. (laughs) They're wrong. Absolutely, positively wrong. There should have been a rule to begin with. Uh, Donald Trump is 100% right, and this is a winning
4: situation.
6: Donald Trump might be a, 80 or a 40% approval rating right now, but this is a 90% approval rating with the rest of America. And I, I, I called the Packers. I'm a, I, I am a owner. And uh, I was not happy with the response I got from them because they got the same, you know.
0: Right, the same he, response.
6: Blah blah blah, you know the
0: First Amendment, blah blah, whatever. Well, right. Well, thank you. again, it's and it's not a First Amendment issue. I know I keep saying this, but it's not. I hear commentators throwing around the First Amendment. It's not the First Amendment. The First Amendment says government shall not infringe people's right to free speech. This isn't government. Your employer has every right to limit it. The local newspaper, for example, tells its reporters you you can't sign a recall petition, for example. They've got rules, okay. That restricts the rights of the free speech rights of the reporters, but that's the company policy. The company gets to do that. Maybe your employer says you can't wear a political button. You know, you work at a McDonald's or you work at a Starbucks. You can't wear a political button. Into and deal with customers. Okay, that restricts your First Amendment. Your that that restricts your freedom of expression. But the report, the business has a right to do that. So this isn't the government doing that. The NFL, I think, has every right to say, no, you, you need to you need to stand if they choose to do it. Okay, uh, on our text line, Josh from Wapon says, I absolutely agree with Trump. If the NFL was my business and I had this big of a problem, I would. Change it. Another one of our texts. If the uh, uh, let's see, um, and that's kind of the thing. Um, let's see. Yes, it's a no-brainer and the wrong place for them to voice their political positions. Okay, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. This makes this issue go away, and I think here the president is right. And I think the NFL, if you know Roger Goodell and the owners, should be kicking themselves that they didn't put a rule into the place like this over the summer to have prevented this. And now it's coming back to bite them. Eric on the north side. Eric, you're on 620 WTMJ. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Eric. Um,
10: First and foremost, I am a veteran. Um, And, you know, part of that kind of tells me that they're telling me, you know, for, for what I did. Now, I'm not one of the ones that had to go and fight for our freedom when the flag... Uh, yeah,
0: but you served our country. You served our country whether you yeah. whether you were in combat or not. You served our country, sure.
10: Right. So that being said, you know, the NFL had rules regarding personal conduct on the field before. Yes. Celebrating in the end zone, stuff like that. Yes. So for them to say that they, they can't or won't, they've done it in the past, why can't they do it now? Because this is something that... It's it's part of the game, and it has been since I can remember. Sure. And and you know what gives them the right to come and try and alter what has been going on for years and years and years? You know, a, a game is not their place for political.
0: Well, the NFL could certainly say that. No, thanks. See, I guess that that's my point. The NFL could certainly say when you are on the clock, when you are on our time, and you're on our time when you're dressed for the game and you're standing on the sidelines, yes, we think that this, it is divisive. We think it is hurting our business, and and we want this you know all right you know nobody's going to compel you to sing the national anthem if you don't want but we think that it is disrespectful or we're concerned at least that a large number of our customers and clients that would be you and I think it is disrespectful so we want you to we want you to do it is it any different than having a code of conduct or a dress code or something like that you know for a business gee i I want to. I want to engage in some sort of protest, so I'm not going to wear the uniform or whatever. No, you don't get a choice to do that. The NFL, I think, could pass this rule, and yes, I think they should have passed the rule. Okay, we continue the conversation next. The president, refusing to let this drop, he now says, "Look, they should just have a rule. Be done with it. It's 11:16. It's 11:20. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Um, a couple of our texts. The intent may not be to disrespect the flag, but the fact remains it is disrespecting the flag. Um, let's see. Here's another text. It's one of the smarter things we've heard out of our president. Um, let's see. Uh, here's one. Jeff, not all of us have the same reaction to the anthem as you and your listeners have. This is not about the military. All men created equal is not true. Sports should not have the anthem anymore. Huh. So that response is um, that response is okay, just do away with the anthem. No, I don't I don't think that's I don't think that's the case. I just don't I don't buy that. I mean, I think again, you have all sorts of rules in the NFL and this is a standard. Now, you would argue that you should need the rule, but apparently you do. Let's talk to Pete in McGuanago. Pete, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Yes.
9: I totally agree with Donald Trump's expression, and I believe they should have some type of a rule that they should have to stand. I mean, they're getting paid to do a job, Mm -hmm. and it's an insult to me because I'm a veteran. I put five and a half years in a number of years ago, Mm -hmm. and I think it's insulting me personally and all of the people that fought for our country to give them that right, and uh, I am totally against them people. Uh, kneeling down and disrespecting the, the national anthem.
0: Okay, so you would support this rule saying if, if, if they want to, if, if they're attending, if they were in the stands, you don't think that they should be made to stand up. But since they're on the field, they should, right?
9: Well, they should be made to stand in the, in the stands too. And the people, I've noticed a lot of people at ball games and everything that don't even bother to take their hat off anymore. Right. If they, if they had a rifle in their hand and they were laying in a foxhole and bullets swinging over the top of their head and they finally realized what they're fighting for, I think they would be a little bit more... Yeah. uh appropriate for them to take
0: their hat off and and stand yeah. and be recognized well I mean I, I see I agree with you I stand I take my hat off I try to find where the flag is and because I, I'm not musically talented I, I don't sing but I, I do I, I do stand there and observe it um I, I do think it's different I think while well, I think it is just a matter of respect that people should stand for the national anthem if somebody in the stands, decides that they don't want to do it i think that's a matter of individual choice i disagree with it but that's different than being an employee and you are an employee when you are on the sidelines um there i think the nfl has every right to make that rule and i candidly i agree with the president on this one too i think they should have the rule let's talk to paul on the north shore paul you're on 620 wtmj good morning
6: good morning Jeff. thanks for taking the call
3: sure what do you
0: think Um,
6: You know, I think, I think it's a slippery slope because if Roger Goodell and the suits at the NFL make a rule and, and they don't really believe in it, they're going to make the fine a dollar or $10 per game for every guy that kneels down, which is nothing to these guys. If they make it stronger, say they make it $10,000 a game, now you're inviting the NFL Players Association in and you know that's going to be a fight and it's going to be tied up in courts and it's going to be a lot of money and, You know, where do we go from that? I'm not sure there isn't really an end game that's going to appease everyone.
0: Well, no, I, no, at at this point in time, no, which is why I think. If, if I'm the NFL owners, Paul, I'm, I'm probably sitting there thinking, why did the president have to go down here? Because I really do believe that this whole protest thing had jumped the shark. I mean, I think it you know, it was pretty much overdone, and there was a handful of players that were doing it. But then once the president decided to get in the middle of this on Friday night, now it's, it's more than just about a couple players that might be kneeling down. Now it's about the president versus the NFL and all. Uh, what do you think they do? I mean, what, what is your view of the end game here? Yep, lost Paul there. I, I just, I, um, I, I, you know, what, 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 what is the end game? I, I think the NFL, but in Paul makes a good point. You know, if you're going to pass a rule, you know what what are you going to do? I mean, I would make this similar to the rules that they have. My God, that they, they regulate. You know, what, where you can have a towel. They regulate. You know, what you can do when you get into the end zone after you've scored a touchdown. I mean, I, I think that they clearly have the ability to do this. Okay, we're going to continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1124, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. It's 1126. Jeff Wetner, 620. WTMJ, just six games left in Milwaukee's Hunt for Brew October, and it begins with their final home series of the year. The Reds visit Miller Park this evening to kick off a three-game set. Bob Eucher and Jeff Levering have the call starting at 6:05 right here on WTMJ. We're going to move on in the next segment of the program because I do want to talk about what's going on in Puerto Rico. Joe in Brookfield. Joe, good morning. Good morning. What do you think?
8: Well, I definitely don't think we need to pass this rule. If you're going to pass this rule, then you better have a rule saying that everybody in the stands is quiet, hands on their heart, don't be drinking your beer, don't be crapping with the guy next to you, because to me that's more offensive than the guys down there. At least they're silently sitting there, they're kneeling, they're praying, they're hoping to change what's going on in the country. I'm a I'm a veteran myself. I served in both active duty and the National Guard and I'm an emergency first responder. I didn't fight for my country for the flag. I fought for the rights our country has and if peaceful protest, which this is, is how people they're trying to make attention to it, then let them be. And again, this wouldn't have been a big deal if our president
0: hadn't stuck his nose into it last I Friday. Mean,
8: there was what there was what Three Packers the week before. It it was
0: clearly dying down.
8: (laughs) I think all he's trying to do, Jeff, is he's pandering. To his extreme
0: followers yeah but 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 at the same time there's a lot of i mean i don't think everybody and look and i, I respect your position on this but i don't think everybody who thinks that it is disrespectful to do what the players are doing are, are extremists I, I think it's something oh, that no, no, we, no, no, no. Okay. I,
8: I agree i i have i know there are people it's going to bother them my wife it bothers her that it does it. but as i said we, we have these freedoms for a reason and this is part of it. I don't, you know, it's just one of those things. I just think, you know, I've never had to be pulled over in the middle of the night because I was driving in the wrong neighborhood because of the color of my skin. Mm-hmm. I've never had a friend shot by a police officer for maybe a good reason. I've never gone through that. I don't live like these people. And these people, the people who do find it offensive, put yourself in these people's shoes, whether, you know, maybe they're just because they're athletes doesn't mean they've gone through it. But how do they? How do we get these things changed if nothing's brought about? And this is our way of bringing it about. Is there
0: better ways? Well, I guess the question would be: I mean, and I appreciate that. I'm glad you made that point. But but I guess there's a time and a place for everything. And I guess there nobody, at least I would not argue that people don't have a right to engage in, you know, peaceful protest and freedom of speech and free expression. But my question would be, don't you do that on your own time? And again, if these athletes, it's their day off, it's Tuesday afternoon, you want to have two-thirds of the Packers go down and hold a news conference where they express their outrage about what happened, what happened in Ferguson or what happened everywhere? Absolutely. They have a, a right to do that. But to me, what complicates this is, they're not doing this as individuals. They are using the forum that their employer, the NFL, gives them. They're in uniform. They are at work. And that's where I think the distinction is. I think the NFL should, in fact, have a rule on this. Because then, again, it would, wouldn't would say you can't engage in protests, but it would say you can't use us. You know, and use what we have given you, that, this forum, you know, just, and I, I mean, candidly, I don't think this is that much different than saying to the barista at Starbucks, you can't wear a Hillary Clinton button or a Donald Trump button or whatever. All right, we are going to switch gears. It is a mess, a mess in Puerto Rico. And there's a lot of people saying, well, maybe the president should be less concerned with kneeling during NFL games and more concerned with helping the people in Puerto Rico. We're going to discuss. Stick around. 1135 Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ two years and two sellouts that means you cannot hesitate to get your tickets to this year's WTMJ holiday radio show to partially benefits kids to kids Christmas on November 27th at Turner Hall in Milwaukee same place we've done it for the last couple years you can hear the story of how WTMJ saves Christmas I'm interested to see the story of how WTMJ saves Christmas, and you can see all of your favorite voices on stage with you as the live audience. Um, This is a fun event. We've had a blast the last couple years. Tickets go on sale next Monday at noon at PapsTheater.org and the tickets do sell out quickly I remember um, we we sold out I I want to say in a couple weeks last time and a week before the show I have all these people calling me saying can you get us tickets and I kept saying no I I can't because we we don't have any more tickets Um, so next Monday at noon org. the tickets are $25 a piece Um, you can be listening though all this week to both Wisconsin's morning news and Wisconsin's afternoon news for your chance to win the tickets before you can buy them and we hope to see you on November 27th, we are looking forward to that. All right. Um, I am sorry to say this, but the last ditch effort to try to repeal and replace Obamacare failed. Uh, essentially, the the program that they had come up with was, if, and I've, I've argued this before on this program, it, it would have again dismantled the federal bureaucracy and I think invited and provided competition into the markets. And it would essentially take in all this federal money that we're blowing on Obamacare, and it would give it to the states and allowed the states to, again, have a lot of latitude in developing their programs. If you've been a regular listener of the show, you, you know I firmly believe, and I think almost everybody agrees, that in Wisconsin... We did healthcare right. And I'm not saying that there weren't, you know, cost increases and things like that, but, you know, we had competition in the markets. We had, um, various programs that dealt with pre existing conditions to allow people, whether it was you were a low income individual, so you needed badger care, or, um, somebody, uh, not low income but needed to get, you had the whole HERP system, HERP system, you could get, you could get insurance coverage and you had choices and you had different insurance companies that offered different plans so you could tailor your plan to what you needed. And then along comes Obamacare and blows up the entire system and now you have a situation wherein. in what I think the estimates are about seventy percent of the counties across this country. There, there's only one insurer um, on a various exchange, so you've got very limited choices as doctors, almost no choices to the type of, of coverage or where you can go, and you know your premiums are going through the roof, high deductibles, all those different types of things. This would have been an effort had it passed. This would have been an effort to, I think, get us back to where we were, and you could have used, candidly, Wisconsin as a model. Now, yes, it is true. It is true that, you know, under this plan, states could have said, you know what, we're not going to mandate all these different types of coverages that Obamacare has. So, for example, if you don't want to pay for birth control because well, you're beyond the childbearing years. You don't have to pay for birth control coverage. Oh, that's just so terrible. Well, all right, what's, what's wrong with that? That's the system we had. If you want to have lower premiums in exchange for higher deductibles, you, know, you can shop. You could have your choice between three or four or five different insurance companies. You could allow the insurance companies to compete for your business. Now, there, there's absolutely no competition at all. Well, anyhow, the the efforts to try to repeal and replace Obamacare, it needed to be done, um, the only way you could have done it, which was through this budgetary reconciliation project process, otherwise you need 60 votes, and you're not going to get 60 votes, had to be done by Friday, now you have a couple of the Republican senators who just have been saying no, 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 and Susan Collins of Maine said no, I'm going to vote against it, John McCain, who... I can't tell whether it's a vote of principle or I can't tell whether he's just still hacked off at Donald Trump for some of the things that Trump has said about him. So he doesn't want it. And I just I don't know. I don't know what's driving uh, McCain. You've got Rand Paul who doesn't think it goes far enough. So you've lost the vote. So it, it's not going to happen. And so Obamacare will continue to live on. So where do the Republicans go from here? Well, at, at this point in time, I think... You declare victory and you you climb out of that hole because the truth of the matter is Obamacare is going to implode. And I am very sorry for those of you who, for example, live in Wisconsin. We'll just talk about Wisconsin right now, who have seen insurer after insurer after insurer drop out of the marketplace, I mean, can I see a show of hands? How many people who had, like, Obamacare policies through Blue Cross Blue Shield? Okay, those are gone. It's one after another. So, you know, in many parts of the state, you you don't have any choice. You're lucky to the extent that you have one insurer, but you've got very little say over what the premiums are. You've got almost no say over what the deductibles are. And I don't know what's going to happen next year or two years from now when the insurer that is the one insurer that's left in a particular area decides that they're not going to offer coverage. I I don't know. This is a foreseeable situation. It is a train wreck, and I, I don't know how you fix it. So now the decision has been made. We can't go back on an entitlement program. We have to leave it in place. And the problem is, I I think at this point in time, Republicans just have to say, President Obama owns this. The Democrats who didn't want to make any major sort of reform, they own this. One of the things that was just, that absolutely drove me crazy last night is I'm listening to some of these Republican senators say why, particularly Susan Collins, say why that she didn't want to vote for it. She says, well, it's, it's because, you know, there'll be X number of more people who are uninsured. Well, Yes and no. They're going to be uninsured because it's going to, this plan would have dropped the insurance mandate. Individuals would have had the choice as to whether or not they wanted to pay the premiums. I mean, the truth of the matter is, if you look at what the penalties are, what the premiums are, what the deductibles are, there's a lot of people who candidly might be better off just self-insuring themselves. Um, and then hoping they don't get that catastrophic situation. But I, I don't know. I mean, don't we ha- shouldn't we have a right in this country if you decide that you don't want to have you don't want to pay for insurance? Shouldn't you have a right to not pay for insurance? Well yes, that means some people are going to exercise that right. But is that necessarily the, this bad thing? Do we really want the government saying you have to spend money on something even though it's not in your best interest? I mean, really? But in any event, Obamacare is going to continue to be the law of the land. I think at this point in time, it's time for Congress to just recognize we tried to do something, we can't do it right now, and let's see where it goes. And my guess is it's going to be an unpleasant situation, but maybe, maybe things just have to hit rock bottom before you get the impetus to make change. And hopefully, hopefully, that change isn't going to be a single-payer system. That's going to be one of the huge issues in the election coming up. For example, U.S. Senate race, Leah Vukmir, who's one of the candidates running to replace Tammy Baldwin, she recognizes what a disaster single-payer is. Tammy Baldwin, she's all in on single-payer whether it's Leah Vukmir who or whoever becomes the Republican nominee this in and of itself could be a wedge issue but people need to be educated on that issue okay when we come back we're going to talk Puerto Rico it's 11:43 this is Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ It's 11.47, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. From the Big Dog to the Greek Freak and from Marquette to March Madness, we're showcasing some of the greatest games and moments in the BMO Harris Bradley Center history. Check out the photo gallery up now in the Buck section of WTMJ.com. I've actually got to think that one through. A lot of great games at the BMO Harris Bradley Center. Trying to, I, I will I will give that one some thought as to what the absolute coolest one was. Um, we have had, and I understand some people want to see this as evidence of climate change. Actually, people who are really into climate change, anything that happens with regard to weather is evidence of it. If you have three hurricanes in the space of three weeks, ah, that shows that the climate is changing. If you don't have any hurricanes for 12 years, well, that shows the climate is changing. To me, when it comes to climate change, it's... First of all, I mean there's more people on the planet now than ever that means more strain on the environment than ever so I mean obviously, I think what we what people are doing has some effect on the planet. what that actually means though that's where I have the issues. What do you end up doing with it? Do we want to go back to living in caves? do we want to say, okay well we're, we're not going to be able to turn the thermostat up above 50 degrees all that type of stuff. the question is what what does it mean and how will the earth respond as the earth has responded to all sorts of things in the past but regardless of where you come down on climate change there's no question that um this hurricane season in the caribbean and the atlantic has been absolutely horrible you had of course the the monster hurricane that hit houston you had the hurricane that hit florida it was bad could have been a lot worse and then you had the hurricane, which devastated Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, Commonwealth, is a. Sometimes people wonder, is it a state? It's a Commonwealth. Um, people who are, if you are Puerto Rican, you are a U.S. citizen, um, and clearly you are entitled to. If you live on the island, you know you entitled to FEMA protections and things like that. Um, the latest hurricane was particularly devastating. Now, going into this hurricane season, Puerto Rico it was a mess. Puerto Rico was essentially bankrupt. Um, there were all sorts of huge problems with the infrastructure. And, uh, you know, the hurricane, Hurricane Maria, has just devastated the island. I mean, they, they have, it has destroyed the infrastructure. Um, no power, essentially, anywhere on the island. Most of the water is not drinkable because, I mean, you need you need power to, you know, handle the filtration, and, and that, that's gone. Um, long lines for fuel, um, because power has been out, the airport hasn't, up until I think yesterday, been able to operate at all. So you have all sorts of people, now it's primarily tourists, trying to get the heck out of there who have been, In the airport, with no heat and limited no um, with no air conditioning and limited water for three, four, five days. Now, finally, they're starting to get some planes in and out, but they haven't been able to get radar working at all. It's just it's an absolute and total disaster and an epic problem of humanitarian levels. And so, a number of people are saying to the president, "You are not doing enough." Now, here's here's part of the problem with this. Already, our emergency management resources are strained. You know, how quickly we forget. You had the hurricane that devastated Houston. Houston's not back on its feet. You had the hurricane that ripped through Florida. Not just, for example, the Florida Keys, but ripped through the entire state damage could have been worse but tell that to people you know who had the massive flooding or had you know damage to the roofs or whatever so you've got FEMA that's already dealing with Houston you've got FEMA that's already dealing with this devastation in the entire state of Florida and then you have a country where the infra- you have a commonwealth where the infrastructure was already in trouble that is now essentially leveled i understand why people in Puerto Rico are frustrated. I I get it, and if that was me, I would be one of the people that was incredibly frustrated as well. The problem is, big picture, I I don't think Puerto Rico is being ignored. I don't think it is being treated like it is a second-class commonwealth or whatever. I think the problem is that the devastation is just so great that... In many respects, it's tough to figure out where to start. The emergency management uh, response right now is to try to get drinking water and food onto the island. And then you start to rebuild the infrastructure by starting to get the power back on. But given the scope of the the devastation, that's not going to be something that happens with the snap of the finger. So I I I see all these pictures and your heart has to go out to the people that are being impacted there but at the same time I'm not at all convinced that this is a failure of FEMA I think what you're seeing is just the effect of hurricane fatigue three hurricanes over the space of a couple weeks and in the case of Puerto Rico an island that was hit by a devastating hurricane and it was an island that could probably least accept that I mean it's just it shows what happens with Mother Nature, and and who knows how long the rebuilding process is going to take. And it's easy to say when you're sitting in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you know, be patient. I, I get it, but for everybody that's upset with FEMA, I don't think it's fair at this point in time. I think they're doing triage right now, and the first thing you do get water, get food in there, and then see where you go from here. Um, that doesn't help people who, again, are sitting in 90 degree heat without drinking water and no power, but. There's only so much you can do in the wake of the devastation.